that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamar East, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Dropping this to you on Thursday morning as we wrap up National Signing Day, the light sounding period on Wednesday. A couple guys for Ohio State, a little bit of Ohio State news. We'll start off with that. We'll wrap up the class, and it's one of these things. I know most of this stuff was set in December, but we have the final final rankings where Ohio State ranks in the Big Ten nationally. A um, couple guys around the country popped on, on Wednesday, so we'll deal with a little bit of that. But then also on Wednesday, Stephen, Nathan, and I have the opportunity. 13 Ohio State players were available for interviews. Thanks to Jerry Emig and Mike Basford for that. 11 early enrollee recruits and two transfers. Uh, good conversations. Great to get to talk to these guys in person, get to know their backstories a little bit, talk to them about how they fit, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to do the offensive players on this podcast. Devin Brown, Caleb Burton, George Fitzpatrick, um, Keon Graves, and Bennett Christian. Is that right? Those are the five, right? Did I say that right? I think those are right, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then we'll it. do the, the Graves. What is it? Yeah, with a Y. Graves with Grays a Y. with a Y. Oh, my Y looks like a V. Keon Graves. Apologies for that. Five offensive guys that we'll talk about on this podcast. The Friday podcast, we will dig into what we learned from the defensive guys. So you got to wait a little bit, but we want to make sure we give everybody their their due because we got the chance, chance to talk to all of them for like 20 or 25 minutes for most of these guys. Let's start with this. Stephen, what is the news that people have heard by now, but we need to make sure that everybody listening to this knows it. What actually happened new for Ohio State on Wednesday in recruiting? Their last two commitments signed uh, Carson Heinzman. There was really no worry that he would sign um, the number 172 player, the number nine interior offensive lineman out of Wisconsin, um, which is a pretty big get because they don't go to Wisconsin very often and have recruiting success. So that ends that there. And then on the defensive side, you get your fourth defensive lineman, the number 62 player, the number six edge rusher, Amari Abor. He did spend some time during this the last three years here as a five-star at times, but obviously people develop in different ways. So you move up and down the rankings and whatnot, but there's, is a bit of a high ceiling there, but this was the one, you know, from the moment he committed where you're like, all right, let's see if he actually makes it to signing day. And from the, given how the last, you know, 24, 48 hours have gone, any of those worries kind of went out the window. Both of those guys had signed, sealed and delivered their LOIs by, you know, early morning. And so, yeah, Ohio state's class will end with 21 players in it. Uh, fourth in the country, the best of any non-SEC school behind Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia, worth 300, 300.446 points with an average star rating of 93.95, which is actually third. They have a better average star rating than Georgia's class. And I actually just did the math just for the sake of doing it to try to figure some stuff out. In a world where Quinn Ewers doesn't you know, get here early and just signs as, normal, as a normal 2022 guy and you don't go get Devin Brown, you still finish fourth. It just moves you from 300 points to 303. So, yeah, they were locked into that four spot no matter what. And Kristen Miller picked Georgia over Ohio State. Was he a defensive lineman also? Yes, the number 102 player, the number 14 defensive lineman. Um, really high on Larry Johnson. 
compared his recruiting pitch to that of a Larry of a Lamborghini sales pitch back when he was here during the summer for a one-on-one workout. His momentum took him from Ohio State to USC, back to Georgia, and he eventually settled in on Georgia, um, which is fine. Obviously, it's a top 100 defensive lineman, but given what Ohio State got from the defensive line in his recruiting class with Amari Abor, Caden Curry, who we met today, Caden Curry, and then also Kenyatta Jackson and the Hero Canoe, they're, they're pretty set there. So looking at the average star rating for the last six Ohio State classes starting in 2017, we know 2017 and 2018, they went back to back with number two classes in the country. This would be fourth in the last six years for Ohio State's average star rating. The number one class was 2017, 94.59. Number two was last year. No, wait. Number one was last year, 94.98. Number two was 2017, 94.59. Number three was 2018, 94.29. So those were all really, really good. It's like 2017, 18, and 2021. Like awesome, like number two in the country, great classes. Again, Quinn Ewers is factoring, ended up factoring into 2021 and then didn't stay. But um, this is not that far behind, 93.95. So almost a 94 overall. Then you look at like the 2019 classes, 91.87. The 2020 class is 91.79. So those are lower rated classes. I always like to look at top 100 guys. And I have a thing about um, strategy that popped up here that I think we'll have a brief conversation about. Ohio State, eight top 100 guys in their 21 and the 247 composite. Would you guys like to guess how many top 100 guys Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia had in their classes? Ohio State had eight. Nathan, you don't have to guess all three. What's the number? Just throw out a number. I was going to ask each or collectively. Yeah, just give like a uh, – give what you think the average was of those top 100 guys in each of those three classes. I was going to say like collectively 31. So that would be like 10 per class, a little over 10 per, 10 class. per class. Yeah, yeah. Steven, what would you say? I mean, I'm pretty sure all of Texas A&M's top 100 guys are just the five stars they got. So I'll say 29. So collectively, it's yeah, tw- 42. Texas A&M, 16. Alabama, 15. Georgia, 11. So that's what we're talking about here. Top 100 guys. Ohio State, eight. The rest of the SEC, not those three schools, eight combined. The rest of the Big Ten, that's not Ohio State, um, nine combined. Ohio State, eight. Penn State, four. Michigan, three with like another Top 20 guy, an offensive lineman from Seattle who is still deciding between Washington and Michigan, but he's not going to sign for like another month. And mm-hmm. Washington sort of sounds like they don't think they're going to get him, but Jim Harbaugh's in Minnesota. So I don't know if Michigan thinks they're going to get him anymore. Um, Iowa won, Wisconsin won. So again, like Ohio State has almost as many as the rest of the Big Ten combined. But I did think, you know, a pretty good Bama, Georgia, and AM just blew it out of the water, right? By average star rating. Bama's first, Texas A&M second, as you mentioned, Stephen, Ohio State third, Georgia fourth. You know, the Midwest, not too bad. USC had this tiny, tiny little class of eight guys, but they had the fifth average star rating because they recruited like eight guys and they're practically all five stars. And their entire like collection is just transfer portal guys, so they're not yeah. even thinking about recruiting. Uh, Miami is six. Again, that's Mario Cristobal getting in there late and doing some stuff. It's a small class, but they were six average star rating. Oklahoma is seven. Brent Venables pulling some guys late. Again, teams in transition. Notre Dame was eight in average star rating. North Carolina was nine. LSU was 10. 
Penn State 11, Texas 12, Clemson 13, Michigan 14. But there's 14 schools that their average star rating was at least a 90. And Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Notre Dame were four of those schools. So, like, you look at, right, Bama, Georgia, and Texas A&M are kind of, like, going nuts. And then Ohio State's almost right there. It is right there in some ways. But good for Notre Dame and Penn State, Michigan, for kind of doing their thing. And, like, they're as, they're as good as anybody else other than those, those three SEC schools. Nathan, we already did this in December. They did add two more guys. They missed out on one guy, but Abor seems like that's a good win for them to lock him down as a top 100 guy in that defensive line. I think in December, one of the things we were, you know, when you just looked at the early signings, it was like, well, I don't know. And then it's like, okay, they they finished up very well on the defensive line. You know, fourth overall, third by average star rating. Ohio State fans got to be pretty happy with this class, you say? I think I think content. Yeah. I, I, you know, I remember us talking about it uh, even heading before December, before actual signing day in December and the reservations I had about the defensive line at that time, thinking that it was still pretty thin, but you know, hero canoe was a silent commit. We already had an idea at the time. Caden Curry picks Ohio state, a guy that we, you know, was seemed to kind of be back and forth at that point. And, and then keeping Omari Abor, I think is, potentially big and as steven said like we don't know for sure the ceiling on him exactly how high it is but there's something there that if it hits could be special and when you project ahead to where this program was going to need some help in a couple of years with you know this being the last year coming up for zach harrison with guys like jt or jack sawyer jt to him you don't know how many if they're going to only be here for this season and next and, and maybe moving on, you always have to have that in the back of your head. So to have someone like Abor who could be a presence three years down the road, I think it's how you have to think about recruiting. And I think that was just one example of where they made some decisions and got some guys that will, it, it's not about this year, obviously, we, you know, we got to talk to these guys today and there's a lot of questions about, you know, what are you doing now and where are you playing and how do you see yourself but, I mean, these guys have been here for two weeks. So it's it's really more about 2024 and beyond when you start talking about this class. All right, here's the thing I want to talk about very briefly. I and in, in trying to figure out, like, why is Georgia's average star ranking below Ohio State? I was like, that seemed like Georgia had 11 top 100 guys. Ohio State only has eight. Georgia had a 29-person class. Ohio State only had a 21-person class. But the other thing here is the thing that we've been diddling around with sort of like in the Dewan Jones discussion is this idea of get top hundred guys, get like, get the dudes that everybody agrees is good. The best guys that everybody wants. Be careful in the middle, be careful in the middle with guys who have good size and kind of do everything that you kind of want, but they're not quite as good as the top 100 guys. And then, maybe dig around for the diamonds in the rough, the lower rated guys, the Dewan Joneses of the world, right? The guys who are a little raw, a little undersized, a little oversized, don't have a position, whatever. George's class, 29 guys. They have 11 in the top 100. I tried to figure out where to draw the line on what's the middle and what's diamond in the rough. I don't know what the distinction is. I said from like 101 to 299. So that middle 200, which is like, again, very highly ranked players, but not exactly Chase Young, right? Georgia has six of those guys. And then 400 
No, that was to, yeah, 300 and lower. Georgia has 12 of those guys. Ohio State has four. So here's the point I'm making. So they both had 38, both Georgia and Ohio State have 38% of their class as top 100 guys. That middle, Georgia has 21% of their guys are in the middle. Ohio State has 43% of their guys in the middle. Georgia has 41% of their class are these, quote, lower-ranked guys. Ohio State only has 19% of their class on lower-ranked guys. Stephen, my assumption is if Georgia wanted more guys in the middle, if they wanted more recruits in the 200s, they could get them. They could pick guys who were ranked in the 200s instead of some of these guys who were ranked in the 400s. They must want the guys who were ranked in the 400s. It's not like there's a bunch of guys in the two in the 200s telling Georgia no, but I kind of like like and again that lowers your overall class rating. And I didn't like it when Ohio State was digging around for local offensive linemen, you know, that felt like shots in the dark. But if you're if you're looking with, at lower ranked guys with a purpose that you see something that other people don't, I thought that was an interesting distinction. I'm not trying to give Georgia too much credit, but I thought it was an example of that strategy, which is one that I'm been interested in as we've talked about it the last year or so if i uh, obviously i don't cover georgia but if i did i think one thing i would ask kirby smart about this strategy is it seems like he's building his depth chart through his recruiting classes by doing this you've got guys who are clearly you want they're gonna be starters while some of these guys in the lower and as you would call them the under radar guys anything that's for me anything that's under a 90 for your star rating you start to get into that, you know, hidden gem, you know, radar t- category for me. Those are your third stringers. They kind of fill out the rest of your depth chart. And if a couple of them pop, cool. Then a couple of them pop. Ohio State's not taking that approach because they're not just trying to fill out a depth chart with a recruiting class. They Everybody they take is somebody that they genuinely believe can actually play for them. While, with, as we've seen with Alabama, lose so many guys in the transfer portal, even if they're bringing guys in. Georgia's probably is going through the same thing. They're going to have, if they add four or five guys in transfer portal, they're probably losing five, six, seven, eight every single year. And let's see two years from now with some of these lower rated guys, even the higher rated guys, if they don't pop as well, but how many of these guys end up being in the transfer portal? Because it does feel like, because the SEC more than any other conference does kind of oversign, they can do stuff like this. But I, like, I'm not, I know what you're saying. And I do believe in recruiting backups. You got to recruit special teams players. You got to recruit mm-hmm. guys, especially in the portal world who can be like, listen, you're going to be our eighth offensive lineman. And like, depending how things go, your eighth offensive lineman can be really important or it could not matter at all. But man, if every time you get an eighth offensive lineman, that guy's like, nope, I want to start. I'm out. It could hurt you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I guess part of it is maybe recruiting some guys who are going to be happy to be there no matter what. And this is just one example. But again, like Jordan Davis was the number 424 recruit in the country in the class of 2018 for Georgia, and then turned into like a Heisman candidate at defensive tackle because he's a little different. He's as we, we compared him to Dewan Jones before. So I, I, I like the idea to some degree of recruiting backups, but Nathan, I also like, I want, now I want two Dewan Joneses in every class and I don't care what they're ranked. I rank them in the thousands, like be, but have the guy that's like, nobody else really sees it with this guy. But I see this, right? I see, oh, I'm telling you, p- other people are missing something here. And we'll roll the dice on that. And for Ohio State, again, I'm criticizing Ohio State for having too many highly ranked guys. But Georgia has 41% of their class is 300 or lower in the rankings. And Ohio State has 19% of their class. I'm just, I'm not complaining. I'm pointing it out. And Stephen, as you said, we'll be able to, 
we should do this now. Like this is every class you should track. Like we should have like a final rating of who became a starter, who became a, a contributor and who left. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of come up with, you try to come up with like a rating for this. It's almost a post recruiting rankings. Class. Yeah. I, after the third, after a class's third year, it's almost like a, okay, let's go re-rank these recruiting classes now that we've seen it pay off. And that that's where uh, Nathan has argued this uh, time after time. After time. It's almost the, it's the other side of the argument of stars mattering. Shout out to Ari Washerman. Yes, the stars matter in the moment, but then, okay, let's see how it all works out three years later. And it's the concept of like, can you develop a five-star into a five, talent to a five-star player can you take a three-star and turn him into a superstar when he's not supposed to be that 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 does i do think if we're going to live in this world of transfer portal and guys are moving all over the place and all this other stuff i do think that needs to be a thing at this point is re-ranking recruiting classes after three years when the superstars are gone yeah that's always been my argument of like um how we talk about players because it's like Zach Harrison, Zach Harrison was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. Is he a five-star player in college football right now? Like that's and that's kind of the way I, I the way my brain works. He's a good example. And I think I think this would be, and that's not a criticism of Zach Harrison necessarily, because mm-hmm. the first is not something really that he had any control over, in, to some extent. That's out outside opinion. So like how you're comparing those things, it, it gets problematic because it sounds like we're like tearing a guy down. Because if I think it'd be an interesting podcast to do to say like. What star are these guys now? What what star would you put on guys, the seniors, juniors, maybe even sophomores in this class, guys who've had a chance to do something and sort of start to establish themselves? I wouldn't want it to get spun, though, as like, oh, I'm ripping Zach Harrison because I'm only calling him a four star when he was a five star. So that means he hasn't lived up, no. right? I'm like, well, I don't I guess. But like, that's not really the point of the exercise. I think it would be more the point of the exercise to give people a a better like last year's defense would have been a good one to do this with because you know Taraja Mitchell was like a top 50 player or whatever coming out of high school but what would what star would we put on Taraja Mitchell again not ripping the guy but like what has he actually been as a college football player I think it would be it probably is a podcast we should do some form of that because I think it would be very informative as far as what the actual expectations of the team should be in the fall I don't even think it's ripping the player it still puts it back on the program because the the initial rankings is okay How do you judge the way that you can accumulate talent? That's what this entire conversation is. The second part of that is, okay, how'd you develop the talent? So it's still on the assistant coach's abilities to recruit and then develop. So that's great. The thing that I'm interested in is, is it possible that guys ranked in the 400s have a better chance of being a really good player for you than guys ranked in the 200s? That's like my hypothesis, that if you think you'd rather have three stars than five stars, you're drunk. The five stars hit all the time. Mm. But when you talk about like the percentage of like turning guys into stuff, I just am curious about the idea of are guys in the two and three hundreds guys with plenty of exposure who just aren't quite as good. And sometimes the guys who are ranked lower are there not based on ability or talent, but are there because of other things. And that's where I want the comparison. So yeah, that's I, what I'm curious about. Yeah, I think what's interesting is a guy who is ranked uh, 57th and a guy who is ranked like 300 something are both four stars. And the way that I think that affects this a little bit, because what the crux of what you're talking about, Doug, and we've talked about it before, right, is that guy that you're getting that's even lower, no matter where you're getting him from, probably has a better chance of sticking around. And I think it's because they don't come in necessarily with 
the expectations, the inner expectations of a four star because they're going to watch other four stars go to other programs and play right away. And maybe they have they they have to pay their dues more at Ohio State to sometimes get on the field. So I think you might be onto something there that I think you're the when you take a Chris Olave, when you take a Dewan Jones, those guys, you know, Devon Hamilton, guys who are lower ranked, they're going to be there five years later. Well, four in Olave's case, but they're going to be there that, that all those years later finishing off their career, finishing off the development. I don't think that will happen quite the same way for some of those guys that you're talking about in the 200 300s. I think they're more likely to leave. Also, I don't know if Chris Olave and Dewan Jones are good comparisons with Jordan No, Davis. they're they're the exact comparison. Except they a- all had a thing. It's not the talent. They had a thing, right? It's like, why were they ranked that low? Because they had a thing. What was their thing? Well, Dewan Jones was playing basketball. What was Chris Olave's thing? Well, he transferred schools and he was a little bit hurt. And the, the evaluators were wrong on him. They missed him. What's Jordan Davis's thing? He's probably because he's gigantic. And people didn't know if he'd get in shape and be good, right? They have a thing. It doesn't matter what your thing is. Yeah, that's fair. That's my point. I'll take a guy. It's, I'm really, it's, it's a misevaluation on, by the recruiting rankings, right? Or that misevaluation based yeah. on what other people are offering and that you believe in your evaluation but then it pulls down your class rating a little bit because you have a bunch of guys. Georgia has a lower average star rating than Ohio State. Well, it's because they took a bunch more guys in the 400s. I'm curious to see what those 400 and that now, and then let's compare hit ratio on guys in the 400s and hit ratio on guys in the 200s. And I think you can rank it on like, were they a contributor, but also like who became a star? All Americans. Hmm. from the 200s versus the 400s. I, there's a lot of All-Americans in the top 100 because everybody knows they're good. That's I'm super curious about that. I, I just thought there was an example of that with Georgia and Ohio State. All right, anything else that happened on signing day? Stuff, some guys flipped. An Iowa State guy flipped to Oklahoma, and I don't know. I mean, you know, Shahan and I are going to talk about it on the College Football Survivor Show that will be out late Wednesday night or Thursday morning looking at the teams that overachieved and underachieved around the country in recruiting. Steven, anything else from an Ohio State standpoint we need to hit? No, pretty drama-free day. Class is done. Now, uh, the obviously, the, the focus has already shifted to 2023. They accomplished what they needed to accomplish today. Not, I mean, whether you think the class reaches, was maximized or not, that's a whole conversation that we've already had. But, yeah, as far as what Wednesday was supposed to be, they got the guys everybody expected them to get. Okay. Then let's take a quick break and come back. We'll start talking first about the new quarterback in the class, Devin Brown, next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven, we were texting a lot as we were doing these interviews on Wednesday. You get the info, like it comes out of the guy's mouths, and like a couple minutes later, boom, it's in your phone as texted by one of the three of us. You can sign up at 614-350-3315. Let's start with Devin Brown. Six two and a half, one ninety six. Number forty two overall player, number six quarterback in the class. One of the guys we talked to, one of the five offensive players we talked to on Wednesday. Um, I, I was like asking him like a, a Google Maps question, and I didn't have a firm grasp of. He's from Arizona, but yes. he went to Utah to play his last year of high school. Yes, and there's yeah. some personal information there that he didn't want to share for why that happened. But yes, he he moved to Utah and was living with one of his teammates uh, family for that year to play football. But he's really from Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was so, this is a guy again who had been committed to USC and mm-hmm. I was sort of like, Hey, like 
was USC like a local school for you? That's what I was trying to get to. Like, could you have driven to USC? And he was like, yeah, my parents, I'm showing him the, how you get from Draper, Utah to USC's campus. It's nine hours and 11 minutes. And he's like, dude, I'm from Arizona. What are you doing? And I was like, I'm sorry. He said, it's like a four hour drive from his parents' house in Arizona to USC. So that's different than flying to Ohio state. But then he was like, Hey, my parents can get on a direct flight from Arizona and be here in like three hours, which is what everybody always says in recruiting. All right. It takes you four hours to drive. It takes you three hours to fly. What's the difference? You got to pay for the plane ticket, but your kid's getting free college. If you saved up a little bit of money, you can play for the plane ticket or get an NIL deal get free plane tickets, whatever. But he said, Nathan, he was like, Hey man, like I was, I'll go anywhere that he said, that's not like, I didn't commit to USC originally because they were kind of close because they were in PAC 12 territory. I just, I was open to it. And that's the exact kind of guy that's going to be open to a Ryan day pitch because that dude was like, Holy moly, Ohio state's recruiting me. Where can I sign up? And that's important for Ohio state to find those guys. We did a whole project with quarterbacks a couple of years ago about quarterbacks who stay near close to home, quarterbacks who stay close to home or quarterbacks who go far away. I do really think we're in an era of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud or DJ Uyungle are three great examples. I think quarterbacks especially will at this point will go almost anywhere if they think it can get them to the league and they think they can have success. And Devin Brown was clearly one of those guys. Yeah, and I think it speaks to what we've talked about before, like Ohio State sort of exploiting the market inefficiency there, right? Because some a program like USC should probably have had a better – a, a more firm place in Devin Brown's mind, right? At that point in his career. And because they didn't, it opens the door for some place like Ohio state to come in and make that move. And we'll see if that continues in the future. I assume that that will be less likely to happen in future, but like specific, but in general, I'm talking about California specifically in general. I think you're right. It's, it's a, a different side of the coin that we were talking about before that you've got to, it can't just be, you know, this game is not the, the right, the, the appreciation of this game is regional, but the accomplishment of this game is national. And Ohio State has, has obviously done that going and finding those guys everywhere. But this wasn't a kid who ignored USC because they suck like every other kid on the West Coast. This mm-hmm. guy liked USC. This is just because they got fired. He was saying yes. he like like this is not Ohio State taking advantage of USC's horrible football. This is the his staff got fired. He said he loved Graham Harrell who got fired with the Clay Helton staff and now is the offensive coordinator at West Virginia. It's, it's like really like, like Ohio state pounced Steven in a pretty good way. And, and, and Devin Brown said that like Lincoln Riley called him, like as soon mm-hmm. as Lincoln Riley got to USC, it was like, ah, 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 ah. and like, it was too late that Ohio state got in late, but then sunk its, its clutches into this kid because everybody else in the world is trying to go play for Lincoln Riley. And Devin Brown could have, but he was like, nope, my dudes are gone, and now I'm out, and that's it. He was committed to USC for a year and pretty comfortable in that commitment until things. I'm not so sure. Was he like Clay Helton's greatest recruiting win in Clay Helton's whole time there? (laughs) That like they got Devin Brown? Uh, the defensive lineman from the 2021 class, I can't remember his name now, was probably his biggest one just because he stole him from Clemson. But from a quarterback standpoint, yes, this is. Yeah, the, the fact that he's a quarterback magnifies it that much more that, yes, this is pretty good. Because Devin, this is not the C.J. Stroud story of, oh, we need to go find a quarterback and this late bloomer just came around. No, Devin Brown's been a top 100 commit, a top 100 recruit for like eight months. This has, you know, been a thing for him. And so, yes, 
Ohio State got put in the position where they randomly needed a 2022 quarterback again. And because USC was completely bottoming out, they the right option fell open to them, especially after it was clear that Drew Aller wasn't backing off that Penn State commitment. Yeah. But again, it's not that USC bottomed out. It's that the guys who recruited him got yeah. fired. Yes. It's not about the program. He's like, I love Graham Harrell and some other guy. And then Graham Harrell wasn't there anymore. So he's like, well, my guys are gone. I guess I'm open for business. And here came Ohio State. Nathan, I do think sometimes over the course of a day like this, when we talk to 13 different players, it's a good way to get a sense of the status of Ohio State. What sort of like the college football world, what what the recruiting world thinks of Ohio State. And I do think stories like this with Devin Brown, and again, he's being coached by Joe Germain, who's a former Ohio State quarterback, which I was like, wasn't he sprinkling stuff in? And he was like, well, you know, yeah, I guess he was kind of doing a little bit. But it does feel like, and again, these are stories of kids who chose this place. But you do hear enough stories where it's like, Devin Brown is committed to USC. He's one of the best 100 players in the country. And he's like, man, when I got an Ohio State offer, I was like, what? And I, I don't know, Nathan, like I, it, I get it. It's kind of like the dream school kind of stuff. But sometimes when you hear that stuff, it's like, you know what? It's a reminder that Ohio State is kind of a big deal everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there were some conversations today with someone like Caden Curry. I know we're talking about defense tomorrow, but it's, some of that played into that too. Like a guy who um, it, it's not just hearing Ohio State. It's that then, you know, they you get on their radar that you become a, a target of them. Now you're coming for a visit. Now you're walking out of the tunnel. And now the whole kind of experience starts to swallow you up a little bit. And, um, you know, even someone like uh, Diamante Tran, and again, another guy we'll talk about more later with the, with the defense, but a guy who, you know, in the back of his mind, I think the whole time was like, did I make the right decision? He passed up a chance to come to Ohio state and then now has a chance to come back and kind of like reset his career and, and move forward. And, uh, you know, probably didn't know he would ever really get that chance and was, was fortunate, I guess, in his eyes that it worked out. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, pretty much everybody on this list, you know, once in a while you'll get the guys who probably are maybe jaded's not the right word, but um, have a, a different perspective. But for so many guys and even like really highly ranked guys that there is a difference between getting offered by a great program and getting offered by Ohio state. It's just a different level. I do think one thing that is interesting now is every region has a school for the quarterbacks to go to. Now that Lincoln Riley's at USC going forward, all the schools were like, you know, Alabama in the SEC, You've got Clemson in the ACC, Ohio State, obviously, in the Midwest, and Texas, because Steve Sarkeesian is there and now USC. Let's see how in a world where like quarterbacks can go anywhere. You know, are we going to start seeing, you know, Florida quarterbacks go to USC? Are we going to see more California quarterbacks come this way? Because it really doesn't matter. It's not about repping your region. It's about which which quarterback school do you feel like can maximize you? Yeah, it really is quite a thing. It's a reminder about this whole thing about like offensive head coaches and whatever. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like when you get that offensive reputation and it is it is probably the number one thing that's like a differentiator with Ryan Day with like compared to where Ohio State was. Because even with Urban Meyer, that that wasn't what, what Ohio State was back then. They were not a place where the best quote. That's what we thought Jim Harbaugh was going to do at Michigan. When it's Urban Meyer and then Jim Harbaugh gets here. And I remember like right when Jim Harbaugh got here, it was like, like Robert Griffin III was like visiting Michigan. It was like, man, that guy is going to make a quarterback factory at Michigan. And Ohio State's going to be having dual threat zone read quarterbacks down here. And there's going to be a clear path for what kind of quarterback you are. You can 
have this school in the Midwest or this school in the Midwest and, and Michigan's going to be the passing place. And then it was like, Ryan day got here and that changed immediately. And it is the long lasting thing. Ryan day and Brian Hartline. When you talk to these guys, when those guys show interest in quarterbacks and receivers, like it matters. It's like, Oh, what did Ohio state have to get to do? Like do to get in the door with you. And they were like, Brian Hartline called me. And I was like, Oh my, like they don't have to do anything because people know what's up. And it is, it's one of those things, Steven, where it's like, and I'm always, I think it's always interesting, the melding of the people and the place. And ideally when, when a coach stays for a while, they kind of become the same thing, but Ohio state's reputation has changed. And the, the way it is right now, like if Ryan day and Brian Hartline were at Penn state, like, I think these guys would be going to Penn state. Like, is that wrong that it, it I think it's about those two guys. If they were at Michigan, I think they'd be going to Michigan. If they, now, if they were at Indiana, I don't think they'd be going to Indiana, but if they were at Notre Dame, I think they'd be going to Notre Dame. That if you're at a certain threshold and you get the right guys who have offensive guru, it's going to be an awesome offense that's going to maximize my skills. As long as you're at like a top 15 program, that's good enough. It, you get a real sense of what Day and Hartline mean here. I mean, yeah, especially when you're on your third quarterback doing it and your third batch of wide receivers basically doing it and you're coming off a year now where, I mean, you were if Chris Olave plays in the Rose Bowl, you have 3,000-yard receivers in one season. That's, I mean, so this, I think you're right. I think those two have built a great enough reputation. It's not just, oh, it happened in 2018. You've done it with three very different type of, types of quarterbacks with different types of wide receivers and body types that as long as they're at a school that has a legitimate chance of, competing for a playoff spot, they'd be doing this anywhere. And that, and it's like the, what happened with Lincoln Riley, that Lincoln Riley just took Oklahoma's All reputation Oklahoma's <laughs> and took it to USC. Yeah. I think if Ryan day went to Florida state and took Brian Hartline as his offensive coordinator, I'm not Would saying Devin Brown every- be at a, with Devin Brown, uh, Kojo Antwi, Caleb Burton, Keon Grays, um, and Caleb Brown all be at Florida State right now, had Ryan Day, if this hypothetically, if Ryan Day and Brian Hartline just said, ah, we're done here, we're going to Florida State, would all those guys be at Florida State's recruiting class right now? And would CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba be transferring there? Literally. I mean, to the point of Lincoln Riley, I mean, Caleb Williams did exactly. I mean, he's at USC, even if everybody wanted to throw Wisconsin's name out there. So, and Mario Williams, like their best friend, Mario season, Williams like is out there. Malachi, Malachi Singleton, the 2023 quarterback commit, is at US, is going to USC. And now, listen, Oklahoma's going to be okay because Brent Venables, I yeah. think, is going to be good, but their reputation has changed. And so, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley had melded his reputation in Oklahoma's. Oklahoma's Oklahoma, but they're also a quarterback factory. Well, now he removed his reputation and he took that to USC. So Oklahoma is still Oklahoma, but they're not going to be viewed as a quarterback factory for now unless they prove that they are. I think that's the point we're at with Ryan Day and Brian Hartline. And I think days like this are reminders of that. Not that we necessarily need a reminder. Nathan's eyes are closed. You sleeping? His eyes are closed. <laughs> I'm here. His eyes. You look like a. You look like a middle-aged father who at the end of a long day is supposed to be hanging out with his child, but watching a TV show, but instead you're sleeping. Soon I will be. <laughs> yeah. My dad Three does months. that. So 
Devin Brown reminds me of Joe Burrow. And, and when we did a video about this, I said, it's not just because he's a white guy, but it's like, I didn't think Jack Miller or Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers. I never thought they reminded me of Joe Burrow. It's a little bit of the haircut, the hair coloring. Facially, he looks like him a tiny bit, but it's also a little bit how he carries himself and the way he talks, but it's actually sort of like Joe Burrow, the current Joe Burrow. I see Joey, Joe, Joey Burr. God, I'm used to, I still think like Joe Burrow, my Joe Burrow is the I love Matthew Delavadova. Let me wear a Matthew Delavadova big head caricature t-shirt. That's my Joe Burrow. Cool Joe Burrow wearing like a diamond pendant and, and smoking cigars. Like, I don't, I don't know who that guy is. I can't relate to that guy because that's not who he was here. So actually like Devin Brown reminds me, I mean, the only time I've talked to Joe Burrow since Joe Burrow left Ohio State was like at the combine. But like, he actually has a little bit of like the, the post LSU, like the post Ohio state Joe Burrow that he, he carries himself a certain way. Nathan, he was just like super comfortable today, which is not really necessarily indicative of anything, but he does have a grasp. I think on, he and I were talking about how important it is for a quarterback to like connect everybody on the team and be a leader. And he's like very cognizant of that. Very like much like wants to be a leader, wants to like get to know everybody on the team. Like right now, again, not that CJ Stroud doesn't do that, but CJ is like humble and has kind of like worked his butt off to get to this point. And like we've talked about how CJ is like super smart and like a processor, but I wouldn't say that his personality reminds me of Joe Burrow, right? But I don't know, Nathan, it's just something about it. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but Ryan Day briefly, briefly, briefly had a little bit of Joe Burrow here. And not that he's trying to make up for that. We did the retalkals about it a couple of weeks ago, but I feel like this is his like second chance with the Joe Burrow kind of dude. I just couldn't avoid getting that vibe on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously the Joe Burrow comparisons now are very different than Joe Burrow. Like if you, you wouldn't be talking about it if it was just like, Hey, he reminds me of this guy that Ohio state had that then didn't win the job and he transferred and things didn't really work out. Or he just became like another guy. Like, you know, the Joe Burrow comparisons are interesting because of the second year he had at LSU and in what he's doing right now. So at the, at the end of the day, um, I'm, I'm most eager to see the quarterback development here. And, and the, the trajectory now is it's going to be interesting. I think next spring, because, we assume Common Court is sticking around and will then be here to compete for that job next spring, assuming CJ Stroud moves on. And I know we're jumping ahead of a whole spring and a whole season here, but like it's that that's like the next the next step in this thing that we've been seeing unfold now at Ohio State for a few years. And Devin Brown seems like a guy coming in with the right mindset to give himself a chance to uh, impact that comp- that that competition as early as next spring. I think it's interesting to see how those three very differently handled the first time they got to see what Ohio State media is like, not just from a recruiting standpoint, but like you sat down with all these people in your face and it's really the first time ever and how they and it really showed off their personality. CJ was more, I'm really happy to be here, but now that I'm here, I might as well take advantage of the opportunity. It did feel like, you know, and he's like that normally, but it, a little, you know, not always, but Devin Brown, very comfortable. He just kind of, it was as if he was having a one-on-one conversation with everybody, which is why everybody keeps comparing him to Joe Burrow. Cause he was just comfortable in that setting. 
Kyle McCord, more business-like. You can clearly tell he's the son of a quarterback. And that, 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 that's the thing that stood out to me from Devin Brown's personality is just thinking back to what the first time we talked to Kyle, the first time we talked to CJ, and they handled it in three totally different ways, and you got to see their personality and maybe even what, like, what, they are as, what their leadership styles might be when they are in a position to be QB1. But the context was different for those three interviews, too, because Stroud and Brown were more similar. They were coming in as true freshmen and didn't weren't expected to play like they were yeah. maybe competing to be the backup. The first time we ever talked to Kyle McCord, it wasn't like this for like a signing day interview. From what I remember, it was like it, it was, was fall the, camp. Yeah. It was the competition had already started. It was questions about like, are you going to be the starting quarterback? And if not, why not? Mm-hmm. Like and so it was a very different context for the first time we talked to him. Devin Brown, like asked how he plays, said. Kind of like CJ, like someone said, like, are you more like CJ? Are you more like Justin? Are you more like Dwayne? And he said, kind of like CJ, but I do think I can move around a little bit. He said, like, I kind of have worked on that. Um, again, not not saying he's going to run a lot, but I thought it was interesting that he sort of pointed that out. Like, I do feel like I can run if I need to. I've kind of worked on that part of my game. Does I think it seems like he has a pretty big arm. I was talking about he's like a five eight little scrawny guy as a freshman and then kind of yeah. grew in uh, to what he has become now. And then he did bring up a couple times about like he's thrown a bunch of picks in high school. And he said, like, my first two years that I was playing, I threw more picks than I did at touchdowns. And like Ryan Day, not likey that so much. So Steven, he knows that he has to like get that out of his game. And I'm sure he and Ryan Day have already had many discussions about that, but that will be interesting to watch that progress because again, I'm always on the side of let a quarterback try to make a play because sometimes if you make him get rid of the ball, you're going to miss out on the good stuff too. But I'll be really curious to see what this guy looks like in the spring game. And when we really get a look at him, because if that's his instinct, Ryan day is going to try to coach that. Next spring. If Kyle McCord stays, it's going to be the battle of the gunslingers who might throw you throw 40 touchdowns, but they also might throw 20 interceptions. Um, I, yeah, that, that is an interesting thing. I think it's, I agree with you. I think you do need to let a quarterback figure it out sometimes, but I do think with Kyle and Devin, there are some things that are better figured out in practice when they don't cost you anything than in a game. And I think that's going to be, he's going to have a similar development as Kyle in that standpoint of, okay, that's fine. You do seven straight picks in, you know, period eight on a Tuesday practice because the reason you did that is a next year when you're on the field and it's the third quarter, you're not throwing that pick. Then those two, there's clearly a time and place for every type of throw. And when you've got arms, the way those two do, you've got to learn that in a way that CJ didn't have to learn because he is a little bit more efficient with his decision-making. The other thing that came up with Devin Brown was the binders. It was like, he mentioned the binder and it was like, Oh, I had 10 binder questions after that. He said that, I guess it was on his recruiting visit. They like showed him a, a binder. He said it was like, like he held his hands apart, like, uh, like three encyclopedias. Do people listen yeah. to this? No, Steven, uh, do young people know what encyclopedias are? Dictionaries, three dictionaries. They don't not exist. They're just not physical just things anymore. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's like several, it's like, you know, one of those like eight inches thick kind of binder. And it was like, he, his point was that Ryan day, uh, has a great attention to detail. And he was sort of astounded by, and he thought that was a, a separating factor for Ohio State with how everything is mapped out. He said they're called like buckets, like different buckets of stuff, different fronts, different pressures, different reads, different you know things that you need to know as a football player. And he seemed to really like that. 
and we were sort of like, well, did you get to take the binder home? Did you put it in your suitcase? He's like, I didn't get to keep the binder, guys. I just looked at a thing for a couple of pages. And then Tim May was like, well, what was on the first page? And I was going to be like, what was on page 81? And he was like, can we stop talking about the binders? Why did I ever tell you guys this? We should ask but, CJ about the binder now that he's in year two of a starting quarterback and how big his is. I'm just going to sneak into Ryan Day's office and like look Find at the binder it. now. Yeah. It's like, where's the binder? But I thought it, it's a, it's something, Stephen, right? I mean, it's it's like that. It's like what piqued your interest? And he was like, man, this like the way, again, it told us something about Ryan Day. I hadn't heard a binder story before, but it also told us something about Devin Brown that it was like that he thought that was really cool. And it's, I, I, you can see, again, we've talked so much about how CJ's best attribute is his mind. And you asked him that, didn't you? What's your best yeah, attribute? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. you can tell, again, we had a discussion with Ryan Day last year about, well, if you're looking that Ryan Day, I think it was like once a quarterback's best attribute to be their mind. I was like, well, how do you find that recruiting? How do you tell that from going to watch a guy throw? And it's like, well, give him a big old binder and see how he reacts to it. I think that's, that's, that's a good way to weed out the quarterback targets. It's like, we're going to show, I'm pretty sure the binder was probably just a playbook. He just probably showed him the big old binder and depending on how his reaction was going to be is whether or not they think they can act that this guy should be a target or not. And it seems like it's clear that Devin Brown reacted the right way because he was intrigued by it. Maybe Ryan Day shows some other guys and they go, Ugh, that's a lot. Um, I don't yeah. know if I want to learn that. So it, it's a combination of maybe, you know, obviously you want the kid to know what he's getting into, but also it seems like a good litmus test for quarterbacks when your head coach is a quarterback's coach by trade. Play binder. I like that. Can we call it a play binder instead of a playbook? I just binder sounds yeah. fancier. That's fair. Right? You get a binder, like, a tra- like a trapper keeper, a play trapper keeper. Ryan Day is going to get so many binder questions the next oh time we God. talk to him. It's going to be I ridiculous. Know. I feel bad. Devin Brown did this to him. Yeah. So I thought, you know, Devin Brown, like he's intriguing, man. And again, Nathan, to your point, it's like, all right, well, nobody thinks there's not a quarterback competition right now. It'll be fun to watch Devin Brown in the spring game. Something we, everybody can look forward to, but if CJ doesn't stay and goes into the draft after this year, the Devin Brown conversation today, Nathan, like man, like I'm excited to see what this quarterback battle might be like in 2023 between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. Yeah, and unlike someone like Kyle McCord, like you know, I feel for him a little bit. Like he had to jump right, and he did that, you know, eyes wide open. He was jumping right into the middle of a a quarterback competition and, and was had to try to play catch up while also uh, fighting for a job. And in retrospect, I think there was maybe obviously, I think more separation there than Ohio state led on through the process. And now Devin Brown's going to get like maybe a bit more of a conventional walk up to this. Like he's going to get this first year to steady, to grow. Um, you know, I had kind of envisioned him like having never seen him in person before. I, he was a little lankier than I thought I was. He would be, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that that is a. I would almost rather quarterback come in that way if you've got the height already. Now we can fill you out a little bit in in the ways that they want to. So uh, he's going to get just sort of a normal growth year, and then a then go compete for the job next next spring. Like I said, so um, he's just coming in in a, in a in a good trajectory. I think. But not an entirely normal growth year because he said he's like 196 or 198 right now. And they want him at 215 by the spring game. So that dude That's has like a lot of eating to do. He was drinking. Right, he's not the only guy in that. In that, uh, We heard a lot for today from guys who need to put on some weight, but that would be one of the more dramatic ones. That'd be like 10% of your, your mass adding on again in the next two months. 
he was drinking muscle milk during the interview. He was. So, and he was like, I have six meals to eat today. So uh, good luck to uh, Devin Brown with that. All right. The next highest rated offensive guy that we talked to Caleb Brown, who's number 78 in the class, not one of the early enrollees uh, Keon Gray's from Arizona, number 87 overall player in the class, number 14 receiver. Uh, I did not get much time with him, although Devin, I think there's some indication like he and Devin Brown are like chucking balls to each other all the time and working so out. Steven, who was that? Who was at Keon Gray's for a decent amount of time? Nathan was longer than I was, so I'll let him take the lead here. Also, and I was I was not there substantially either. Um, But yeah, there was definitely you got that vibe from them that somebody asked him like, "How many balls have you caught?" And he said, "Thousands or something like that." Like balls that he's caught from Brown. So that that connection has already started. And again, that's another one where you know I think McCord did that a little bit last year coming in with some other pretty talented freshman receivers. And that's important because that's, again, it's setting the groundwork that pays off in two or three years. You're seeing that. I think you saw that last year with Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. That was something that started in 2020 before they were able to really exploit it late in the 2021 season. And I think it's similarly the connection that a quarterback starts building with receivers can sometimes, you know, what we see from Devin Brown is going to be more of like a 2024 payoff. I think there is a through line. I think I tried to ask him this question. I just didn't do the best job of doing it because he heard Chris Olave's name and rolled his eyes because he's sick of it. There is a through line from Chris Olave to Jackson Smith, Smith and Jigba to I think what Keon Grace can be. And that's, Brian Hartline and Ryan Day finding a guy who out about him and they end up being superstars. Obviously, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, ended up signing and getting here as a five-star recruit, but he was in like the 300s when he actually committed to Ohio State back in 2018. And obviously, we all know the Chris Olave story now. And Keon Gray's kind of the same thing. He was a very lowly rated recruit who was committed to Arizona when Brian Hartline found him. And then obviously because people do learn from their mistakes, the world found out about him, which is why he's now number 87. But I do think there is an opportunity here. I've said it before and I'll say if, if there is a freshman wide receiver who has like a moment, even if it's in like garbage time, I think it might be him. And I think he might be the one when we get the wide receivers this spring and we're asking, hey, who are who's the receiver from this freshman group who's kind of flashing a little bit? They might say Keon because he's a little bit more polished than the other ones are right now. And some of that is because of the schools the other guys went to, but then also Caleb Burton missed his entire junior year with a torn ACL. All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back with the last three offensive guys. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's do Caleb Burton now. Wound up as the number 131 player in this class, number 21 receiver. Wasn't he like a borderline five-star at one point? He was the number one wide receiver in their class when he committed to Ohio State, and then not long thereafter, he hurt his knee. And, I've, and he was actually talking about some of this stuff uh, when we were sit- when I was sitting there talking to him, um, the idea that like he lost a bunch of weight because he hurt his knee, so he couldn't do anything, which is why he's so skinny and so far. He's like 165 pounds, and they're going to really have to get his weight up. He lost some of his speed. Everything that made him the number one wide receiver in the country, when you hurt your knee, that goes out the window. And so he's, it's been a steady decline from the talent is still there, but you know it's, it's basically taking him two years to get back to being what he was two years ago when he committed. So he missed his junior year of high school? Yeah. The ACL, and then he, he played as a senior? Then, yeah, he transferred to Lake Travis and played as a senior, but he he said he had he didn't really start feeling like himself until like halfway through the season. Okay. 
So, I mean, it is interesting to go get a like uh, guy like that. This guy is from Houston. He was talking about how, like how much he loves Houston, how his whole, like his family's in Houston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like this is one of those things again. He said that his dad went to college at Syracuse, Syracuse. And, and his mom also went to college in the North. He said, so even though they're, it's a Houston family, he said like my parents, you know, went to college in the North and had the world view. And like, I wasn't worried about sticking close to home. And then I said, you know, weren't there other people that want you to stick close to home? And it's like, I don't, it's my decision. Like, I don't really care about that stuff. It's quite a thing. Remains quite a thing for Ohio state for anybody in the North to be able to go pull kids out of Texas like that. And um, this is just a kid who was open to that idea. And here we are, Nathan, I don't, did you make it to Caleb Burton's table at all today, Nathan? Very briefly, just kind of a drive by and, and got a little bit of time in there. So not a lot, but it, from the receivers, it, it ends up being, I think a lot of, there's a lot of similarities in the conversations that people end up having with those guys. And again, it's just like, it's like Brian Hartline called and then like away we go. Yeah. It's like a Brian Hartline phone call is like getting a phone call from Oprah or something, you know I mean? Cause what would be better than a phone call from Oprah? I mean, like if some, you know, if UIC, that was your college, Nathan, right? Correct. If like they could get Oprah on board, she's there in Chicago. Can she make some recruiting calls? Get some NIL deals for the Oprah magazine for UIC. They go through the roof. Nothing better than a recruiting call from Oprah. Second, a call from Brian Hartline. So that's Caleb Burton. Seems like a really good guy. Mature, cool dude. Has his Houston area code tattooed on his arm. Like it just is one of the, like a like a Texas guy through and through who was willing to come up here for a snowstorm in Ohio. All right, let's do um, Bennett Christian, tight end. Uh, ranked lower in the class. Where is he? He's 4'11 overall, the number 20 tight end out of Georgia. Uh, I was there with him a little bit, and he was talking about like his how his uh, school, like he blocked a lot. <laughs> so he was like, I don't care if I don't uh, get the ball. Yeah, because really I'm used to blocking. <laughs> and, and Ohio State was like, boom, that guy, that guy is here to block. And then he said, you know, some of the routes I did run, our routes like the, the Ohio State tight ends run, but it feels like he said they were never in shotgun in his offense that they were under center because of the power eye. Excuse me, as you said, Stephen. But in a wide open tight end room, it did feel like he was talking away. Not like, hey, I'm going to come in here and start in game one, but a lot of what he did in high school is going to be similar to what Ohio State is going to ask tight ends to do here. Which I don't know, Stephen, is a little helpful for him, I guess. I, mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he's playing as the Luke Farrell guy in that situation, the blocking tight end in that situation, because yeah, he's basically the anti Jeremy Ruggard recruit. <laughs> what type of tight end they went and got? Uh, he physically looks like he's ready. Obviously, there will be a little bit more physical development as they're in winter workouts right now, but 6'6, 235, and he already knows what he's doing from that standpoint. And it's that wide open. I'm not going if, to, if he's with the ones as the blocking tight end, I'm not going to be completely caught off guard by it. Did you make your way to the tight end at all, Nathan? I did sneak over there because I wanted to make sure I introduced himself. He was a guest on on our, introduced myself, I should say. He was a guest on our pod uh, that Steven and I did uh, one of them last year. Um, but I, I didn't talk to him a lot about that. I was trying to check my notes because I know that he also talked about how much he wanted to, he, he is going to have to gain some weight. 
Um, and I was thinking he needed to gain, you know, something like 15 or so pounds. So another guy that just because there's a transition there, and we did talk about that a little bit, like everybody, everybody there, everybody in that room, I don't care what position you are, um, at the high school level, you probably stood out among your peers. Um, I know maybe some receivers and stuff would be on the smaller side and the corners or whatever, but even those guys, um, you know, again, relative to their peers, impressive. And then you get to Ohio state as an early enrollee. And I think it's sometimes a bit of an eye opener that like, Oh, now what's, what's this all about? Um, you know, we were talking to, to, again, not to get ahead on the defensive stuff, but CJ Hicks was saying like, Oh, like his weight room partner was Tommy Eichenberg. And all of a sudden like that, you know, I mean, you guys can probably imagine like Tommy Eichenberg being a, a pretty serious guy in the weight room. And now that's making an impression on a, uh, this true freshman that's coming in. So similarly, I think that, that Christian's having some of that experience. I think all these guys are having that experience to some extent that you, the good thing about being an early enrollee is that your eyes get opened to the gap that exists between you and the guys you're competing with and against um, earlier. All right. We'll go to George Fitzpatrick. He's the last offensive guy. George Fitzpatrick, number 258 overall player out of Colorado, offensive tackle, 6'6", 274. I think is living with Devin Brown. They were kind of joking yeah. about each other. I guess George Fitzpatrick was that's like, hey, what, Devin, what is Devin Brown like? And he's like, ah, oh, Devin Brown's kind of goofy. And then people were like, hey, Devin Brown, are you really goofy? You don't seem goofy. And Devin Brown's like, no, I'm pretty goofy. And then they were like, well, what's George Fitzpatrick like? And he was like, George is a mess, which I just thought was a very <laughs> – but he meant like he's messy, but I like the idea of like, what's, what's George Fitzpatrick, uh, this, this big offense. He's a mess. He's just, he doesn't have any idea. So they're roommates. That's great. A uh, little joking around going there. But again, the one thing Devin Brown emphasized is like, this guy is a great athlete and you know, he, he's a guy from Colorado. I, I had this guy stuck in my head. I couldn't remember who it was. And I finally had to look up. I think it was Jake Moretti. It was like a last time Ohio state recruited an offensive lineman from Colorado, like in the class of 2016. And like he decommitted and went back to Colorado. Like he never even signed here. He's decommitted. Yes. So I was kind of like, I don't know. Is that guy going to be like that? So that's not fair. That's not how you evaluate people based on, Hey, somebody from your state once decommitted from here at the same position, you're probably not going to help them. But like that idea that Devin Brown is like, he is a great athlete is a pretty good thing to say about an offensive tackle. So I didn't spend a ton of time with George. Who hung out with George Fitzpatrick? I went over there for a little bit. Um, part of the reason he's a bit of a great athlete is he hasn't been playing offensive line that long. I think only two or three years. He was a tight end who converted to offensive tackle simply because it was a better chance of him getting on the field because they're tight end at his high school, Cherry Creek in Colorado. They Their tight end was a division one tight end. I think he said Texas I believe. So that's part of that. But then also he played lacrosse. So he played some other sports. So that's where the athleticism does come into play there. But um, a lot of questions about, Hey, you committed to Greg Sadrawa and now he's not here. Yeah, that sucks. We kind of, I found out at the all American game, yada, yada, yada. But I do think you know, versatile offensive lineman, six, six, two, seventy four will need to put the weight on does have some athletic ability because he didn't necessarily spend his entire life playing offensive line, but as we know, the offensive line is more of a developmental position than any other year. There shouldn't be really an expectation that he's maybe he makes the two deep just because he did early in row, but uh, maybe, or, you know, I don't really have an expectation for him to be playing in year one. Did you hang out? Did you just hang out with the entire defense, Nathan? You literally like to <laughs> talk to an offensive player. No, in retrospect, I did. I spent most of my time with defensive guys. I was writing. Um, I have some pieces I had already wanted to write on uh, McAllister and uh, Trey and them. So I spent a lot of time with those guys. And then for some reason, when I floated around, I got, I got to the receivers in bits and pieces, but it was a lot of time with other defensive guys. It's interesting. I mean, it, it was like a 
whatever, seven or eight of the guys today, it was like, Hey, the position coach that recruited you got fired. Yeah. How's that feel? So, you know, and, and there was some stuff that was like, yeah, like that was kind of crazy, you know, that again, we'll talk about it more on the defensive side of the ball, but that's just a reality for a lot of these guys that, you know, f- four of new assistant coaches in an off season um, is kind of a lot. So those guys are dealing with that. And uh, I think we have some good, interesting discussions ahead on the defensive side of the ball. I thought Devin Brown was really interesting, but I, I also thought some of the better conversations I had were some of the defensive guys. I thought like Jair Brown was really interesting. I thought Gabe Powers was interesting. Um, I thought uh, Chip, I can't believe that Dumonte Trainum's nickname is Chip. And I had the conversation with him. Apparently everybody already knows this, but it's like, it's like, he's just Chip. And I was trying to explain to him when Chris Wells got here, we had like a year where we called him Chris Wells. And it was like, ah, it's Chris Beanie Wells. And like, we wrote Chris, like quotation mark, Beanie Wells in the Cleveland Plain Dealer for a while. And then it was like, he's just Beanie Wells. He's Beanie Wells. And I was like, are you Chip? I said, if I write a story about you, should I just say Chip? He's like, yeah, you can say Chip. I was like, okay. So he's Chip, man. Chip is a dude. I think everybody likes Chip. Chip is interesting as all get out. So he was an offensive guy at Arizona state. He's a defensive guy here, which means you have to come back for the Friday pot to have us talk about him a little bit more. We'll talk about the eight defensive guys that we talked to on the Friday pod. That includes Tanner McAllister, the transfer from Oklahoma state. Um, It includes CJ Hicks as a five-star linebacker, the highest rated guy in this class. Uh, It includes Ryan Turner, who I thought I really liked Ryan Turner corner, some really interesting corners, I think, in this group, too. So you'll have to wait because we're not going to do 10 hours on this. Underrated or underachieving and overachieving teams in this recruiting cycle and in recent years. That's the big topic on the College Football Survivor Show. Look for that wherever you find Buckeye Talk. Go read Cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, what, is, what are some of the things you guys are specifically working on that might pop up on the site in the next couple of days? Both those things I just mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm writing about McAllister and his sort of dual purposes at Ohio state, which is um, being this bridge between the defense that Knowles built at Oklahoma state and the one he's installing here, but then also uh, wanting to make himself a more attractive NFL prospect and, uh, and wanting to win at a level that he hasn't won before, even though Oklahoma state was pretty good last year. He obviously sees Ohio state as being having higher ceiling. And then um, the, the, the decision that Trey and made and how that played out and, and, and what steel chambers experience can tell us about this transition that he's trying to make now. Yeah. Uh, obviously when I was, I was asking Devin Brown, a lot of questions, just, I just wanted him to put me in his mindset from the moment he decommitted from USC and then he showed up at the Michigan state game and then watching, I think I was texting this during the Michigan state game. Like, Hey, this is probably the best possible day that you would want a top 50 recruit as a quarterback on your campus, given what CJ is doing and having him watch that in person after the, as, as he said, the day, days before he had kind of came to the conclusion that Ohio state was the place to be and seeing that happen and using that as a cherry on top and how that got him into where he is today. So look for that as well, but also hopefully I can get his dad as a part of that conversation as well. I reached out to him today. Okay, make sure you guys are reading that text 614-350-3315. We'll come back with the defensive guys on Friday for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.